Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Good evening to everyone and welcome to this week's Midwifery Hour. And it's a real pleasure to have, I know that we have quite a lot of people actually online with us tonight and it's a real pleasure to welcome you and especially if you are new to us. Um, my name's Dr Jenny Hall. I'm not Sue McDonald who usually actually runs these and is usually the host of Midwifery Hour. She's she's elsewhere tonight. Um, I'm a midwifery educator. Um, my background... Um, a former editor of The Practicing Midwife, and I'm now a curator and editor on the Midwifery Forum and Matflix, which we all have the support in order to, to run um, Midwifery Hour, and it's great to, to have their support to do this. And they do video e- experts on maternity and midwifery for universities and trusts, and we have a new box set every week during term time. So if your university isn't signed up to it yet, please go back to your LME and have a chat with them about it and find out more about what it's all about. The midwifery hour started at the beginning of the COVID lockdown. And the reason for it was because there was poor CPD support and we wanted to support um, all the midwives who were out there struggling at the time to to actually get um, information and to provide the support for everybody. And it's carried on every week since, apart from a couple of breaks over the Christmas and summer periods. They're all online. You can go back and find them if you go back onto our Midwifery Forum website. Go and have a look. And as I say, it's in the eight series. And tonight we actually have about 700 people who were signed up for this talk. So. Please pass this on to your colleagues and invite them as well for, for next week and following on. Be great to have them. So to start with, I'm going to introduce our topic, which is optimizing health in the postnatal period. It's it's a huge issue and it, it remains a huge issue globally for everybody. Mid, um, postnatal care has has often been called the Cinderella service and and has been um, support has been dropped over many over a lot of times really and it's one for really that's fighting for resources at the moment in in the squeezed health services that we have and we understand so much that midwives are not able to provide the postnatal care that they want to I'd like to thank Activion who have supporting this this program and I have two very wonderful speakers with us tonight very experienced midwives we've got Sheena Byram who's consultant midwife and director of All for Maternity, and Mary Louise, the modern midwife. And both of them I'm going to explain a little bit more later. But every week for our guests, we invite you to talk about your moment of the week. So over to Sheena. Can you tell me what is your moment of the week? Actually, I can. Um, Thank you, Jenny. I was walking down with some of my grandchildren yesterday and it was quite um it was quite remarkable really because I saw somebody that I recognized and she recognized me a little bit and then when we started to chat um I realized then that I was her midwife many many years ago and she Mm. told me something really nice about about my care and I actually was the midwife for her twice um, so yeah, that it's it's always nice, isn't it? It's always brilliant when you meet someone. Actually, the baby now is uh, a mother herself, so that shows how long ago it was. But it was great to kind of rekindle that relationship after all these years. I think it's twenty seven years ago that um, that I was her midwife, so it was just really, really special. Fantastic! That that's just so wonderful, isn't it? When you hear those stories of things that have happened years <laughs> ago. And actually, the you know meaningful shows the the meaningful role of being a midwife and and the the support that we give. Marie Louise, how and what about you? Um, So I unexpectedly one of my 
post went slightly viral um, and it was something I actually just posted a bit off the cuff and didn't really expect to get the amount of interest that it generated um, and the post was just simply about how incredible um, the female body really is and how never to underestimate that level of inbuilt intelligence that it has and how two cells meet and the body just knows the exact mathematics surrounding you know how those cells multiply and they become body parts um, and then obviously at the end of pregnancy um, you have a, a, a beautiful, conscious human being. And um, so it's just more of like a reminder, don't forget how amazing your body is. Mm. And I must have got close up on two, three thousand DMs about saying thank you so much. Um, this is I really needed it this week. I'll, you know, lots of women saying, yeah, I'm 37 weeks or 38 weeks. I'm feeling heavy and uncomfortable. And, you know, it was a really nice reminder of actually what my body's doing and what my body's capable of. So, um, yeah, that was a lovely moment, I think, um, for me, but obviously for all of the people that just had that that gentle reminder that your body's doing amazing things. Mm. I, th I think that's incredible, isn't it? And the physiology and the anatomy, we we know so little really about yeah. our, how our bodies work, don't we? And we need to take more aware awareness of actually how it's all happening. But but thank you again for that wonderful reminder for all of us to, to think about as well. Well, I'm going to just go over to the news of the week for the moment. Is that, well, the news today, which is very significant for us in the UK, is that our colleague nurses have voted to strike, voted for strike action, which is likely to take place before Christmas, I understand. And it's important for us as midwives to be aware of what's going on in our local trusts in relation to that, as well as we are waiting the results of the ballot that has gone forward from the RCM as well. Um, but apparently it involved uh, more than half of hospitals and community teams have voted for a walkout and nurses in every service in Scotland and Northern Ireland voted for action and in Wales all but one health board did. So do go back and find out um, whether it's going to be affecting your trust. But apparently in England, the turnout was very low, in fact, and nearly half of NHS trusts um, have only voted to, to, um, for strike action. So it's important, just important to be very aware of what's happening with our colleagues as well um, at the moment. I had a moment of the week this week as well because um, I was in Thirsk in North Yorkshire and the, there's a, a wonderful group of women there who are called Yarn Bombers and they have completely decorated the, the centre of the town with poppies, including up the clock tower. I can't show you a picture, unfortunately, because I did take a picture, but if you can Google Thirsk and look at their clock tower, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And poppies, for those who are, are watching globally is that this week is is an important week because we have um armistice day which is in two um in two days time and it's a time when we recognize those who have worked in the um the military in in our um in our country over the years and I know that we'll be thinking about those as well who are nurses and midwives who are working in the military at the moment, um, for example, supporting in Ukraine and other places in the world. So be thinking of them. So that's why I'm wearing my poppy today, which is what that's all about. The other important thing is today is British Pudding Day. So if you haven't had your pudding tonight and you've had your tea, but you haven't had a pudding, today is the day to go and celebrate. So go and make yourself an apple crumble or, or go and get yourself a chocolate pudding. But, but today is the day that you're allowed to do it, even if you don't do it the rest of the year. So that's pretty significant as well. Last week for the Midwifery Hour, we, sorry, not for the Midwifery Hour, but in the Midwifery Forum, we had a, a big midwifery education conference where a lot of the LMEs, the lead midwives in education attended. And it was very clear that, that um, there are lots of issues that are going on in midwifery education that has also been affected by the shortage of midwives that we have here. And I'm sure the same is across the world. And so it is important that you keep an eye out of that. It will be on demand out soon. 
Um, and if your LME attended, perhaps go and have a chat with them about what things were that they talked about, because it is it is significant for practice as well as for midwifery education in universities as well. Um, please have a look at um, our online website as well, because there's some new articles that have come out and their new box sets as well will be coming out for Matflix every every week. And the one this week is actually about student education experience, which is significant as well for what we've been talking about with education and different videos there and talks that have been relevant to student midwives um, education experience. We have the Scotland Festival that's coming up on 29th of January. So if you haven't signed up for that, then please do so because it, it will be online as well. So you don't have to be in Scotland, but we do know that a lot of people are attending. And if there's still room for more, if you want to come and join us, and Sheena's going to be there, I believe. Is that correct? You're going to be there? And um, good. Okay. And um, we also have out today the London Festival, which is going to be on the 7th of February. The call for papers is there. So please put in your um, papers that if you want to come and speak, come and be part of it. It'd be great to have you there. Sign up and join us. And the other thing as well is that there will be um, awards. So if you want to put somebody forward, some of your colleagues or your teams towards this for an award, then please do so. And we'll be pleased to, to select them and to invite them along to be part of the festival. So, so do think about that. Go back to your colleagues and talk about who you can, can um, put forward. Okay, I think that's enough of me. And now we're going to think about our topic for this week. And again, it's optimizing health in the postnatal period. And again, thanks to Active Iron for the support for this program. Iron deficiency is one of the issues that does come up quite often within the antenatal period, but also in the postnatal period as well. And thinking about how we can support women who have those issues. But as Nicole Rajan Brown was pointing out in an article that we have on our website this week, is that community midwife, midwifery and follow up support are being squeezed. That, mm. that often community midwives are being called into trusts in order to um, work within the trusts in, in, instead of into the main hospitals, instead of actually being out in the community and being able to provide that support. So what can midwives and maternity service do in the run-up to childbirth to prepare mid mothers for the postnatal period? What can they expect and how to build health and tackle the common experience that is part of postnatal recovery? And we have two great speakers to take us through. Now, it's going to be slightly different tonight in that both the speakers are going to be on screen. So I'm not going to interrupt them in the middle, as one usually does, but um, so if you have any questions, can you make sure that you post them down in the chat um, as we go along? And at the end of the talks, then we'll come back to those questions, um, which, which I will then pass on to Sheena and Marie-Louise. So please start your debating down at the bottom there. That would be really great. So to introduce you, I have Sheena Byram, who we so many people know. <laughs> Been a practicing midwife for over 40 years, I think, having worked in the NHS for most of that time. And Sheena was one of the first of the UK's first consultant midwives. And as a head of midwifery, successfully helped to lead the development of three birth centres in East Lancashire. She's a well-known international speaker and provides workshops and consultancy services on respectful maternity care. And with her midwife daughter, Anna, who many of you will know, is the proud joint owner of the Practicing Midwife Journal and an exciting learning online platform all for maternity and all for birth as well, which is another aspect of it as well. Sheena was awarded an OBE in 2011 for services to midwifery and was made an honorary fellow of the Royal College of Midwives and also received honorary doctorates from Bournemouth University and University of Central Lancashire and was also made a visiting fellow at Bournemouth University. And 
Sheena is committed to the humanization of childbirth, to maximizing normal physiological birth processes, and for all women to experience a positive birth. And Marie Louise, it's lovely to have you here, is a well known midwife and social media influencer who advocates creating better sources of information to improve women's health. And she's going to talk and highlight the scale of treatment failure and women with a history of intolerance to Aurelion. Early intervention by supplementation and following the results of a new clinical study, the impact the active iron mode of action has on gut irritation, adherence to Aurelion and the resulting if efficacy. It is a real pleasure to have both of you here. I'm now going to hand over the screen to you. Thank you, Jenny. Um, hello, everybody. It's a great pleasure to be here this evening, especially with with Marie-Louise, who I met several years before COVID. Um, and we delivered a session together in, in London. Um, and it's just great to be with you, Marie-Louise, uh, this evening and a very important topic. Um, so I'm going to be moving the slides along. And my first slide, I'm actually going to take you back to when I first started as a student midwife. I think this might have been a little bit before then, but I couldn't find an exact photograph. But this kind of does highlight how things have changed. Um, here you have uh, women in bed, regimented, holding their babies, and the midwives looking very strictly on um, with a nice neat table in the middle. And if you kind of think about postnatal care, if a midwife certainly today in the hospital setting, you can see that there's a vast difference. And when we're thinking about the health and optimizing health for mothers um, in this during this postnatal period, when I think back to my early days, and certainly I've still got a book and I've been referring to my book, which I'm going to show you here. I'm going to get it up and show you here this. Oh, actually, we it's a bit tricky when Maggie Miles from many years ago, and I've been reading it and, and actually quite alarmed by some of the, the uh, directives that were given to, to mothers. But re really on the, on the positive side though, there was a lot of focus on rest and nutrition. And even though it was kind of white middle-class nutrition, it would, there was still, you know, really kind of um, ensure, trying to ensure that women had a really good start with their babies. One of the bad things was um, we separated mothers and babies in those days, but then that's another topic in itself. But certainly in relation to the health of the mother, um, the rest was a really big focus. Um, so, yeah, really different and interesting for me to kind of look at that as to what's happening today. There's no I don't think there's any uh, any connection between a postnatal ward today and, and what we're looking at here. So the fourth trimester is absolutely one of the critical points within the um, pregnancy, sorry, the childbearing journey. It's a really, really important point, part that's very often overlooked. And I think as health professionals, we very often focus on ensuring the mother uh, or the person gets the information about the birth. And that's usually directed by them. Women are usually really keen to know about the birth plan. But of course, it goes much further than the birth in terms of coping and adapting with, a, with a, a new, at least one new baby. And so we have to keep reminding ourselves that this part is, is probably the most um, intense part of, of the journey. And, you know, to, in order for them to start their, their life as a parents and uh, to give the foundation for health and well-being in the future, it's important that we share information and point, and point uh, people in the right direction, really, if we can't give that information or if we can't provide certain aspects of the support. But it's just, you know, that there's so many things, so many um, resources out there that we can direct women to if we can't be the ones who deliver the, the information. So women are very often feeling... Um, pressured after the birth of the baby and you know when I was working as a community midwife I remember when I was going into homes and, and listening to them feeling overwhelmed and feeling like there was it, it was especially first-time mums all of a sudden there was because there was someone else to look after they very often forgot to look after themselves but on top of that complaining of things such as um 
excessive tiredness, difficulty, maybe sometimes challenging challenges with feeding their babies, um, babies waking, and, and they weren't quite expecting that waking a lot, and uh, problems sometimes with their with passing urine, um, excessive blood loss. Sometimes it's bowel function that they've got um, constipation or they feel worried about going to the toilet because of perineal trauma. And these things they very often talk to the midwife about in those first few days. And these are, you know, sometimes unexpected. And what what I'm the reason why I'm kind of la- la- laboring on this is because I think because we have got very little time in the postnatal period to to kind of focus on all these things. It's important that we pass information on during pregnancy or at any connection that we have with women during that journey. But midwives are feeling pressured, enormously pressured. And we heard from Jenny earlier about the fact that midwives are being pulled in from community. And I know for many, many years, um, my colleagues, midwifery colleagues who are working in clinical practice are telling me that actually the home visits that we used to deliver many, many years ago have actually been cut right back. And women and people are being invited to go into clinics, into children's centres or into GP surgeries to receive that support. So that's, you know, that's hard for the people who were deliver- receiving the care. And it's also difficult for midwives too because very often they know that actually a home visit would be much better in order to assess how the baby's feeding, how the mum is coping, how she's sleeping, whether she's looking, feeling anxious, and really just to assess the whole situation. But of course, that's not happening at the moment. So that's why it's important that we have to, at every contact, share as much information as we can. And I'm just going to come on to some of that information in a moment. So when we're delivering, when we're sharing knowledge and sharing evidence-based information, we have to be considerate of the fact that every single person that we come into contact with has got their own backstory, their own social underpinnings and their own cultural um, backgrounds. So everyone's an individual and we have to be mindful of those things uh, um, in every uh, connection that we have. So when it comes to food, for example, and we're talking about nutrition, I remember as a a clinical midwife having a photograph at parent craft sessions that was of a a meat and two veg and some potatoes. And it was all nicely cut out in in circles and, and divided up. But of course, that's not the case now, because we know that we are working with uh, um, very many different cultures, women from different backgrounds, different countries. And so just being mindful of the fact that uh, this is the case. And there are resources available. And this is one excellent resource that's free to access. And just to give you an example of the fact that we can, if, if we're talking about healthy food, healthy diets, that we can direct people to this resource. It's freely available and it's around tasty recipes that are culturally aware, culturally sensitive for women with and birthing people with gestational diabetes. So I think that's excellent. I've had a look at it and it's really brilliant. We have to be aware of the social backgrounds of people that are, we're um, serving. So not just the uh, whether whether where which area they're from, but also things like single. Um, sorry, also. Um, same-sex parents uh, it could be and also that they people might not be able to afford to have the kind of food or the kind of suggestions that we're making for healthy lifestyles so it's got to be really sensitive to every single person that we're working with just making sure that the information is tailored to them so for example we have we have resources such as the baby buddy app which is freely available to everybody in the United Kingdom and in some other countries as well. I think it might be Ireland. Um, And this app is fabulous in that it's, like I said, it's freely available. It's tailored to parents who, you know, want to access many, many different kinds of information. It's culturally sensitive. It's, um, It's interactive. So you can actually create your own avatar. Women can create their own avatar. And fathers can do it as well, and midwives and health visitors. So if you're a birth worker, you can actually look at this app and see what kind of information is being shared. And the pe- people can interact with you as well. 
And there's also, so if if there's uh, families are on budgets, strict budgets, and certainly most people will be, um, given the climate, the financial climate we're in at the moment, there's books like um, Jack Monroe's book, Cooking on a Bookstrap, uh, Bootstrap. And I think, you know, again, you maybe not being able to afford to buy books, but using your library, your local library to access these kind of resources. And there are many others too, um, which we can direct individuals to. So I'm just going to pass over to Mary now to talk about um, the healing, the recovery and healing. Thank you, Mary. Thanks so much, Sheena. That was really interesting. And actually looking back um, at that photo as well and kind of looking at the, the history of midwifery and things that we did do in the past, I think is really important because ultimately that is how, how we learn, how we evolve and, and how we adapt. Um, so, yeah, going back specifically to talking about healing and recovery in the postnatal period, because it, it's it's such an important time. Um, and as Jenny highlighted uh, at, at the beginning of this discussion, the fact that it's often referred to as the Cinderella um, of of care. And um, so I think that it, it is very tough times for midwives. We are, you know, juggling a lot. And it's very difficult, uh, as has been highlighted, and with re the reduction of, of visits. So I think that it is important that we are mindful of that. And we do as much as we can to really empower women to support their own healing and recovery process and equip them with the right information and knowledge to do so. So the, the question that I pose is, is modern day life preventing healing and recovery for women as well? And I think this is a really interesting concept because there's a there's a running theme around the globe. This isn't just in one country or one particular area, but around the globe, there's a real focus on the first 40 days um, following birth and the healing that's required for that time. And it's really respected and really and taken so seriously. And the, the common themes are keeping mums warm, um, ensuring that she's got good, good support, ensuring that she has enough rest and recovery, making sure that she's eating really good, nutritious foods as well. Um, and there's a lot of, of consideration for that. And, and I, I wonder if, you know, in our modern day world and in our Western world, if we've kind of lost touch with with some of that a bit and we're, we're living very much in an information age, in a digital age, and we're all, you know, potentially guilty of this, certainly me included, of being on my phone a lot and, and feeling the need to really respond to people instantly. And I think the normalization of this fast pace of life um, can potentially impact the healing and recovery after birth. So th uh, the reason that I um, want to stress this as well is just so that, you know, part of what I do a lot on even Instagram and on online and the blogs and things that I write is just reminding mums that actually you're, you are really in a healing and recovery process after birth. And it's really important to slow down. You don't have to reply to people instantly. Um, and, you know, even if you've got a backup of messages and emails for that period of your life, so be it because otherwise you may end up becoming depleted. And actually it's it's again being normalized, this real fatigue and exhaustion that mums are facing after birth. And I don't think that that really should become a norm. I think that we should be supporting women um, and by just simply informing them of this really basic stuff and this kind of um, global and ancient, uh, ancient kind of wisdom that has been passed down through many generations. Um, so on the back of that note as well is encouraging mums not to just forget about themselves and, as mentioned, um, help them to tackle that fatigue. And one way um, that, they, that can, they can support their recovery in tackling that fatigue is understanding the importance of iron and um, anemia during pregnancy and therefore the postpartum period. Now, there isn't a substitute for a well-balanced diet. Most of us know that. But if mum does struggle to get enough iron in her diet, then supplementation may be a good a good option. Of course, we know that it contributes to reduction of tiredness and fatigue already mentioned and plays an important role in normal energy metabolism and oxygen transport and cognitive function. So the prevalence of anemia is huge, which we will go on to, to mention in just a moment. 
so let's move on to talk about the um, the postpartum requirements of iron, which I don't think are often really discussed or perhaps even considered. So in comparison to pregnancy, maternal iron requirements do usually decline in the postpartum period, but they st- still are increased in the postpartum period compared to um, any time outside of pregnancy. So this, this time may be to restore an iron loss during pregnancy. It may be a good time to restore that during pregnancy. And especially... You know, if mums have um, pregnancies close together and they don't get on top of their anemia during pregnancy or in the postpartum period, they will continue on that anemia in subsequent pregnancies. So one of the strongest predictors of anemia in the postpartum um, time is anemia during pregnancy. And I think, you know, as mentioned, that we're very good at surveillancing pregnancy. We're very good at antenatal care. There's there's a really big focus on that. And, and including for mums as well, they are really focused on, on their babies during pregnancy, taking the supplements, doing all of the right things during pregnancy because they're conscious that they're carrying a baby. But during the postnatal period, that can sometimes be forgotten. And sometimes they, you know, won't take any supplements at all and will completely disregard the fact that they are bleeding. Maybe they're not eating the nutritious food that they were eating during pregnancy. And so it's important to remind them of that as well. So the prevalence of iron deficiency anemia, shockingly, it affects uh, 2.1 billion people, which is obviously absolutely huge. But in relation to us as, as uh, midwives, doctors, birth workers, anemia is reported in around about one in four pregnancies. And um, one study revealed, one UK study found that it uh, that, that when postpartum HB levels were checked, that one in three women were actually um, anemic. So one of the concerns that I have surrounding this is we don't we no longer check HB levels um, postnatally unless there's a clinical indication. So my concern is that there are mothers that are slipping through the net, so to speak, because we may classify their blood loss as normal. So say, for example, you might have a lady who's been, um, you know, had low iron levels or perhaps her iron levels have have, um, decreased throughout pregnancy, but they've remained quote unquote normal. Then she's had a baby. She's lost an EBL of 350 mils, say, um, and and the accuracy of EBLs is is another conversation. Um, But let's go with that. So she's lost 350 mils. Maybe she's a vegetarian, but she doesn't um, hit the threshold for uh, uh, FBC or, uh, you know, checking her iron levels. And therefore, she may then be at risk of of becoming anemic. And the NHS and transport, uh, NHS blood and transport, sorry, in 2019 found the prevalence of iron deficiency anemia in pregnancy to be as high as 30%. But shockingly, it was as high as 41% in the postnatal period. Um, So, yeah, I think that's another really important note to consider Mm -hmm. is the fact that a lot of these mothers may well be becoming anemic during the postpartum period um, through continuation of blood loss. And as I mentioned, if you've got a a lady who has maybe had a normal blood loss of 350 mils, for example, but actually she is five foot, she weighs eight stone, but because it's 350 mils, it doesn't meet the threshold for PPH. So therefore we might not consider the impact that that is having on her physiologically. The other really interesting thing to consider, actually, is the impact of iron deficiency um, on the mother and the mental health impacts of this. So there's more and more research now um, coming out to suggest how important iron is um, when it comes to mental wellness and mental health. Um, so iron deficiency is associated with low levels of serotonin. Um, so I actually didn't know that until fairly recently um, because iron is required to produce the behavior, behavioral neurotransmitter dopamine so if you're lacking that then um, you may clinically manifest symptoms of depression and fatigue now I don't want to mask it because symptoms obviously of depression um, and fatigue are very very important to address appropriately and um, of course there are various different factors that come into play with mothers that have mental health problems postnatally and unfortunately we are seeing a steady incline in that so Obviously, it's important to address it with the seriousness that it deserves. But treating or preventing anemia may well help to prevent postnatal depression. 
So yes, can iron supplementation help? And it's more than likely that it can help with all of the things discussed with um, fatigue, with supporting good mental health. And as mentioned before, it can be important consideration to remind mums to perhaps continue to take their pregnancy supplements um, if they are bleeding. And as I say, if they have got uh, maybe other risk factors of not being able to get enough um, nutrition via their diet. So the research noted that a lot of iron supplementation um, is poorly absorbed, and sometimes that can be the way in which the, it, it is being taken. Um, and also, I'm sure we're all very familiar with this, uh, eight out of 10 people report uh, GI side effects, some of the most common ones um, being constipation and nausea, heartburn. And that leads to 50% lapsed users, which is obviously huge. Um, so this is a problem that really does need to be addressed, because if you've got somebody who's taking um, iron, they're not getting on with it, and then they're, they're not taking it, the impacts that that will then have um, uh, can be really quite significant. So iron supplementation um, may well be important um, for certain people, as we have we as we've discussed, that have certain risk factors, and also that consideration for mums to to give them the information that they really need on how to optimize their health overall, um, and looking at everything from their unique situation, their um, cultural background, their diet their blood loss, and just using your clinical judgment to have a look and say, well, actually, maybe this person would would benefit from continuing to take pregnancy supplements or um, commencing active iron. And so you're more than welcome to try the benefits for yourself for free. Um, you just need to scan this QR code here. Um, Active Iron is actually something that I take personally. Uh, I keep saying I'm postpartum. I'm not postpartum. I've got a two-year-old, but I still feel postpartum um, because she breastfed as well for about 19 months. So um, so anyway, I'm also vegetarian myself and I do take Active Iron for those reasons. Um, and I did take it after I had my baby as well. And I am um, had a really positive experience with it didn't have any side effects associated with it and one study actually revealed that um, there was six times less gut irritation with active vine specifically so you know if you fit that criteria um, then yeah feel free to uh, request a, a pack yourself Sheena I'll hand back over to you for your uh, for the final slides Okay, thank you so much. That was really informative. I've learned so much from listening to you, actually, Mary Louise. And um, so just to finish off, just a reminder to midwives and any health visitors, student midwives or anybody involved in maternity care, that actually, you know, whilst we're constrained and whilst there isn't the same amount of time that we can give to families like we, we have in the past, making every single contact count, which I've said earlier, and doing that with compassion and remembering that everyone is an individual and that circumstances are different for all, all of us. So, and I think that the, the, the key message is, you know, compassion for health and making sure that we look after each other as well as looking after the people that we're, we're serving so that we can optimise the well-being for the future of each family. So thank you very much for listening. And I just would like to take some questions now, if you have any. That's brilliant. Thank you so much to both of you. I mean, like Sheena, I've learned a lot tonight as well. It's it's fascinating to, to think about this from having been in midwifery for a long time, like Sheena, and, and thinking a bit of frustration, really, about how... Um, we've not able to in the postnatal period actually provide that support that that we want to and actually know know that you you want to do i mean do you i mean you touched on it a little bit but do you do you think we should have more influence in improving nutri nutritional status in the antenatal period from the word go because because it is something that that nowadays midwives don't get in touch with um with with women until quite late a bit later on in their pregnancy in the early stages and often mm. nutrition as you say Sheena that, that you're having such little contact with people is that mm. that that we're not giving enough information about nutrition and about the importance of that as yeah part of somebody's life yes I, I'll, I'll maybe say then you maybe you want to say something after Mary Louise but just to say that 
Um, yeah, I, I've noticed a dramatic change in what the time, the amount of time that midwives have got with pregnant women in the antenatal period. And just um, I, that's when I think we have to know about the different resources that are out there so that we can direct direct them to resources that are actually um, that, that are actually reliable, that we know that are reliable. So the Baby Buddy app, for example, I'm a big fan of mm. because I've been working with that team right from the very beginning and I see how it's monitored, how the information's created, how it's all evidence-based. And I think it's so easy for the, for the person to go into their app and look and, and look at what's, what's they can, because there's all the information about nutrition in there. There's wellbeing plans that you can actually download and you can share it with people like your carers. But in, in that, there is information about nutrition. And the good thing about it, it's not just the white middle-class nutrition. It's, you know, considering different backgrounds and different needs. So I would recommend that every midwife has um, that downloaded on her phone so that she knows what's available and directs people to it. The other really good resource is the NHS website. Um, and that's fantastic because that has all the information there as well. And of course, we have All for Birth, which has got information too. And all, the, all those three things are, um, are free and, mm -hmm. you know, open access without adverts. So, you know, it's really important that we, we know about these, these places that we can direct people to. Because first of all, we can't do everything and we can't, there isn't the time, even before COVID and before time, the, the restrictions were there in terms of midwifery shortages. We still didn't have time um, for, for to, to deliver all the information. But I think it's being aware. I think it's midwives need to be aware of all the things we've mentioned tonight so that they can direct and know what to, to advise, encourage people to look for as well. Mm. Yeah. I, mean, that, I mean, I think that's really really interesting what you're saying there and for those people who are actually watching from abroad of which I know that we we have a lot of people from other countries who 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 um sign into this tonight is that that those websites will also be accessible to you and yes. you may obviously have your your own websites within your own country but you're certainly welcome to to look at ours as well and the NHS um one is particularly sort of up to date they keep that up to date with research and also the baby buddy app as well that you can download. I believe it's it's you can still do that um, abroad. And also that that wonderful resource that you talked about, Laura Bridal's um, book that um, we had an she wrote an article for our website, in fact, around that. But I, I downloaded it and I actually use some of those recipes because because they're so good. <laughs> There's some really good recipes in there, but, yeah. but they are so culturally sensitive as well. There's some fantastic yeah. recipes in there. And and we, we do need to be very aware of those who who perhaps, um, as you say, are not white middle class, um, et cetera, who who we need to still support and actually making sure that we are providing um, information and support for everybody yeah yeah and that, exactly and just um off of the back of that with regards to cooking and nutrition and things something that I um, often say to women during pregnancy is cook and freeze on mat leave so while if you have any time whilst you know if you are on maternity leave um, and you've got uh, that additional time that you perhaps won't have after you've had your baby then cook some of these delicious healthy hearty meals you can batch cook and um, sometimes that you can make it even cheaper that way by buying um you know getting a making best use of deals I mean I was in Aldi yesterday doing that myself and um, went and cooked a massive um broth for the family um, and yeah, it was super cheap, but also really helpful and really useful because well, after you've had a baby, you haven't necessarily got that time to spend, you know, cooking for however many hours it it, it takes. Um, so if you do that in advance and you prepare in advance and just freeze them, you can pull something really healthy and hearty out of the freezer that's actually really going to support your body nutritionally after you've had your baby. Mm. And, and also talk to your friends and your family and, and set up a rotor. Yeah, or a meal people, train. That's a good a one. A meal yeah. train. And that that is fantastic, you know, that, that for the first couple of weeks, maybe it depends how many friends you've got, is to get them to bring around a meal. 
<laughs> so you don't have absolutely. to cook and you you can have that that meal you don't actually have to prepare it and I think things like that really will will help help people won't they just give me a moment I'm just uh, looking to my left or right depending on your screen um I've got some comments and questions that are coming through and um, please keep adding them to um the box down the bottom so we've got a comment rather than a question here from Sarah, who's a community midwife in Leeds, and she says her guidelines state that any ladies taking um, iron in pregnancy should have four weeks postnatal iron therapy, but the hospital staff always say they don't want to continue, and it's very frustrating, mm. which is yeah. interesting. Internet, that's obviously a local guidelines. I don't think that's yeah. guideline everywhere. No, and that's that that's where this that's where this comes in, does isn't it? That's where this active iron comes in because very often they'll give up for the reasons that Mary Louise stated. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that, Mary Louise? You probably want to talk about that. Yeah, no, that's that's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's huge variation in guidelines and recommendations um, around the, the country. And quite often it's referred to as a postcode lottery. Um, and, and rightly so. And as you say, Jenny, earlier, it's really frustrating for midwives because, of course, you want the best for the women that you care for. And you've got these limited resources. Sometimes you've got these policies in place that actually aren't being followed. And the whole thing can be really, really difficult. But most of the time, women want to take ownership of their uh, their health and well-being. They're very willing to, to listen and to take advice and, you know, how to really understand how to really optimize their, their health. So I think sometimes just explaining all of these things to them is all that you can really do um, other than feel frustrated because, you know, I totally empathize with that. Thank you. Can I just yeah. add as well, just yeah. to Sarah, just to say, to say to Sarah that, you know, if 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 the women aren't wanting to take it, it might be because they've got, you know, constipation or they feel they felt uncomfortable taking it during pregnancy because maybe it was um, they were taking the, the hospital iron, for example. But if they know about this gentler type of iron, they might be more willing to take it. So mm. it's just worth them knowing that, Sarah, about this, because I, I didn't know about it until I learned about it. So I think it's just worth knowing. Um, and the, one of the other things that I, I just meant to say, you know, when I talked about Jack Monroe's book, Cooking on a Budget, um, and people not being able to buy the book, um, Jack has actually got a website and mm -hmm. social media presence and very often puts fantastic recipes. And what she does is she puts down the prices of each thing, where she got it from, and the, pr and the price that she paid for it. So, for example, you know, getting a cabbage for 18p, something like that. So it's just worth knowing about Jack Monroe's resources and mm. um, the people that maybe, you know, are finding it difficult knowing what to eat and also affording to buy good food. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very important. And there, I know that there's also um, an Instagram page which Tom Kerridge has been doing with... Oh. The footballer. I've forgotten his name. That's terrible. But <laughs> is it Mark Rashford? Is it yes, Mark Rashford? Marcus Rashford. And Marcus, that's yeah. um, called Full Time Meals. And it is a, a brilliant Instagram with recipes that are brilliant. cheap, actually cheap, really cheap to, to look at for families. So do do have a look at that one as well. And perhaps community shops and things like that being set up as well to support people at the moment. OK, I've got another, another question that we have from Hannah Mercer. Hello, Hannah. We're all always seeing women at day 10 and as we are bringing most women into clinic would it serve us well to do routinely and a full blood count like we do at 28 weeks well that's interesting isn't it because of of research i suppose as to why it doesn't happen at the moment but with with the current results of of postnatal um iron content perhaps it is something that that needs to be thought about what do you yeah. think marie louise Absolutely. I think it's the, there's the need for consideration there. But um, of course, once again, using your clinical judgment in those situations, because you mm. can request uh, an FBC if you would like to request an FBC, if you identify risk factors um, for that woman and you think that, that that she would therefore benefit from an FBC, go ahead and use your clinical judgment, of course. But to answer your question directly and routinely screening women, I think that that could be a positive thing, given those um, statistics from 2019 from the um, NHS blood and transport that, you know, freely available for you to look at yourself. 41 percent. That, that, that's a lot of 
women that have got postnatal anemia um, and that isn't being treated. Um, so, and, and then we're looking, as I said, again, if you've got uh, subsequent pregnancies, women are entering into another pregnancy with anemia, the impact that that has on their overall health and well-being during pregnancy. Um, and then, of course, the health and well-being of the baby, the increased risk of bleeding at birth and kind of the list goes on. Uh, so I, I think prevention in many cases is better than cure. So looking at how we can prevent this from happening, but also how we can actually appropriately manage it. Um, postnatally as well so it's a really good question I would be in favour of it if it were up to me (laughs) yeah well all those researchers who are actually out there watching this at the moment maybe actually we need a research project on it um, so that we can actually get it within in the guidelines did you want to say anything more about that Sheena no just in my book I was reading in my Miles book from (laughs) 1902 Um, (laughs) it's very clear that the haemoglobin should be checked and I always remember doing that yeah Um, but maybe the maybe the latest uh, postnatal care nice guidelines um, recommend that it's not needed so that you know the late and it depends when that's been updated so that information that you have um uh, uh, Mary Louise might be after the publication of the latest NICE mm. guidelines. So it's worth, yeah, like Jenny says, you know, having a look at the research. And and mm. and, and I guess the, the person who, is it Sarah that, that gave the question? Um, Hannah, Hannah Mercer. Hannah, maybe Hannah, you, I would talk to your managers about it yeah. and just give them the information that we've shared this evening and because uh, it will be available to, to you. Mm then show them the, the the video and then see what they say. Yeah, I mean, Mary Lee, you've just made a really good point. It's about clinical judgment. Mm. So if if you've got a, a high caseload of women with cesarean sections or um, forceps births, for example, they're more likely to have low iron, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. so actually, maybe sort of clinical judgment around that we need to bring in a bit more as well. Mm. So Michelle Young says... Hi, Michelle. I do find in our area that midwives have not given out information about healthy start, which is also important. Mm-hmm. So by the time health visitors complete antenatal, um, those eligible have missed a big chunk of money that they could have spent on healthy food. Oh, Shit. good point. That is a really, really good point. And now um, healthy start is, is produced as a card, isn't it? I think mm-hmm. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than actually in paper form vouchers. So it can be used as well in community shops as well. Find out in your local community shops. It doesn't have to be at supermarkets. There are different places locally where you can use those. So it is important that midwives should be getting that information out. Mm. Absolutely right. You've come across that at all, Marie, Louise? No, I I, I haven't actually. Um, And I I think maybe just of late, because it's seemingly now more important than ever, given um, the economic crisis and the rising cost of living for for everybody. um, I've seen quite a positive um, rollout and and uptake, quite frankly, as Mm. well. Um, but I think it's an important point because, you know, I, I, I'm i in one area of the country, we're all in different areas of the country slash globe. Um, but obviously the, the healthy start is in particular um, in relation to the UK. So, yeah, that is a really important point. And, and it's easy to forget things. I think there's so much for us to go through, especially a booking uh, appointment. And we are on, you know, limited resources. So it is it is difficult to remember everything, um, but I think just sometimes pointing pointing ones in the direction to seek further in, information um, themselves and look into what else is available to them. Uh, if you you know if, if you at least remember to say that, perhaps then they will go and have go and do a bit more digging themselves. But it's such an important point at this time. Absolutely, and so remember those who are on benefits actually should have healthy start as well. So to so mm-hmm. try and remember that if you're a student or a midwife. Just, just try and get that into your head to push that as well. So thank you for that. Um, Charlie, I don't know who Charlie is. hasn't given us a surname, I'm afraid. So hello, Charlie. So should women who have been prescribed supplements during pregnancy be continuing to take those supplements after birth? Well, I think we had a sort of bit of an answer to that. But do, do you want to, to follow that up, Marie-Louise, again? Yeah, um, so I would say in most cases that is likely, um, but of course, once again, it's important to, um, regardless of what policies say or you know guidelines say, it's obviously really important to look at that person's unique situation, look at how they're 
you know, their HB levels were throughout the pregnancy? Did they take a rapid decline at 28 weeks? Did they continue to decline? Did they did this woman start iron fairly late? Did she have a heavier blood loss? Has she had a cesarean section? Has she had a forceps? You know, there's so much to it. Or has she phoned you and said, I've, I've had a really heavy blood loss in the postnatal period, you know, because sometimes women, you know, around day uh, nine and 10, um, sometimes women do actually have a really heavy bleed. Um, and th- this is anecdotally, I don't know if there's any research on this, but I've really noticed that lots of mums have phoned me and said around that time that they've ended, they've, they thought that their bleeding's tailed off and they've ended up having a bit of a heavier bleed around that time. So it's important to factor in all of these things that come into play. And when it comes to our own recommendations as autonomous practitioners, um, but but as I say at the beginning, it, it's more than likely than not that if that mother was on iron during pregnancy, it's more than likely she will need to take it for some time postnatally uh, mm. if she has had uh, bleeding after birth. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And and what you're both you've both been saying quite a bit throughout this is as actually having a holistic approach, isn't it? And yeah. making making sure it's not it's not just iron. It's thinking about around the whole picture of yeah. their lifestyle and about about mm. the the diet that they're on all those kind of things which mm. which have an impact yeah. on everything doesn't it absolutely one of the things that sorry, oh sorry go on sheena you go <laughs> no, no i was just going to say one of the things that we forgot to mention a very important point that marie Mar- louise and i often talk about is um is exercise and getting outside into mm. nature for for the, you know, once you're you've rest, you feel rested, and you know you've had. Bearing in mind these forty days of rest and forty days of of self care, but it's just getting out can be part of that. You know, just a little walk. And I know that not everybody's surrounded by trees, and that people sometimes are maybe in high rise flats. But it's just trying to get a little bit of fresh air every mm-hmm. day even if it's raining, just to get that, you know, outside. I mean, we've got these bags of evidence to say that it actually helps your mental health and mm-hmm. um, being outside of four walls. So if you can, if, you know, encourage, so for midwives out there and, and those in direct contact with families, just in encouraging that 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 exercise and to get outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I just wanted to briefly mention as well is the consideration for a postnatal plan we, you know, we have a set appointment for a birth plan. There's a lot of focus on the birth um, during pregnancy, but actually rarely do we discuss, do discuss, rarely do we discuss a postnatal plan. And that's not mm. for us to fill out or that's not for us to mm. take another, yet another responsibility or <laughs> forms of fill in. Um, I won't get started on that. But anyway, um, it's something to ha- perhaps have as a passing comment. I, I implement this um, in my kind of chat around the birth plan and just say, look, you know, we'll create a a really solid birth plan for you here, but have you considered a postnatal plan? Who's going to be around to support you? Do you know the local Mm -hmm. availability, the support lines, the local groups, the apps that we've mentioned? Um, And, you know, once again, prepping and freezing on mat leave, all of these little things contribute to optimising postnatal health. And it can be as simple as just having that, you know, 30 second discussion with a mum that makes all the difference. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. And I think I think thinking about what you said there, Shana, about getting outside is is that this time of year, especially in the UK, where it starts to get very dark, um, is is the is the fact we need to think about vitamin D as well as part mm-hmm. of this as well, because low vitamin D can have an impact on mental well-being as well, can't it? So it's a whole yeah, again coming back to the whole picture of, of yes. what is going on here, isn't there? Absolutely. So just Marie. Mary McCann says a renewed focus on nutritional adequacy in the postnatal period is urgently needed, absolutely, to help improve postnatal and interpregnancy health. I think that's a really good point, isn't it, to bring up about the fact that we're not only providing public health for this pregnancy and support, but we're thinking about subsequent pregnancy and preparing them for the next one, aren't we? It's, yeah, it's, it's not just the one. Yeah. So, um, and we have Nicole. Hello, Nicole. I was advised to continue with iron three months postnatally. Not sure if this is in the guidance or not. I don't so think Nicole, it is. But <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> yeah. It um, might be in local guidance. It might be in the local guidance, but I'm not sure. It may sure. be. Mm. It may be, but it's unusual. Carry on, Marie. Marie Louise. Yeah. 
Yeah, from what I understand, um, usually if you've been prescribed um, iron for that length of time postnatally, it's likely that you um, there were concerns over HB levels or ferritin levels um, during pregnancy in the postpartum period. So you may well have had a heavier blood loss um, or you may well, the your, the team that look, looked after you may well have identified risk factors. Um, so maybe you did have that screening postnatally that we were talking about, that HB check earlier. So you might have had um, a, a, a HB check in the postnatal period and that's identified um, that you did have a low iron levels. So therefore they would have prescribed you that ongoing iron to replenish your iron, iron levels because of how important it is for your overall health and well-being. As we mentioned, um, you know, for after this pregnancy and if you are planning on having any other babies it's it's really important and that we do replenish your body Mm. do you you think this is is also quite significant the fact that that older women are actually having their pregnancy later we're having pregnancies later in our in our in our lives quite a lot of people absolutely and so do you think think that actually that is now having an impact on the rates of of uh, poor iron in postnatally or, or antenatally even i don't have a definitive answer for that because i don't believe there's any research into that specifically mm. um if i find some i will most certainly <laughs> share it with you um uh, but i'm not sure that age would actually impact um you know iron um iron intake during pregnancy during pregnancy either um but it's definitely a factor to consider because as you say there's an ever-changing population um and uh, we can see over recent years actually i believe the average age of pregnancy has gone from um 28 to 31 i think for Mm. first first time mothers um so and i suspect that 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 data is slightly delayed and actually it's more than likely that it is slightly later than that and it will continue um to become later for various different reasons uh so yes it's definitely something worth considering but i will be honest i don't have a definitive answer mm-hmm. to say yes that is impacting it or, or no it isn't thank you no it was just uh came off the top of my head as i was sort of mulling what you were saying there so thank you <laughs> off the hoof um i can i've got one more two more two more questions and then I'll, i will uh, bring this to a close but it's actually it's a comment from rachel Fasella. oh there's a really helpful tool for organizing meal rosters for family oh. birth it's called take them take the ma take the ma meal.com brilliant love it um oh, I love so that. I think take them our meal our take, meal, take the ma as in ma ma take the ma take, take the, the ma meal yes yeah. dot com it's it's ma. down in the chat i think probably it will be added to our resources thank you rachel for for telling us about that because i don't think as you can tell none of us knew anything about that so it's brilliant to <laughs> to have that comment so and yes, another you. comment from Sherelle. this topic definitely highlights the importance of antenatal parent education well, isn't that an interesting one? Because again, that's another issue that that we could go on for another another discussion. I'm sure about how antenatal education has been eroded as well, and the impact of that um, for people at this time. Really, um, so thank you very much, Sherelle, for that. I think that I think is it- the. Sorry, go on, Sheena, please carry no, on. No, I think it's worth mentioning that Mary Louise does brilliant antenatal education. Um, such as telling midwives about Marie-Louise. They probably have seen her on Instagram. And you also have a book, don't you, Marie-Louise, that's really, um, that's really, you haven't mentioned your book. So you've got a book for parents as well, haven't you? Yeah. It's very helpful. Yeah. I do. Th- thanks so much for mentioning because I I often don't men- mention anything uh, about the resources that I do provide personally and often making notes about what everyone else does to promote them. But but yes, I do have a full online antenatal and postnatal course, actually, that um, mothers can access in the comfort of their own home. It's all on demand um, and it's all backed by evidence and obviously my, my clinical expertise. And then alongside that, I've got a book called The Modern Midwife's Guide to Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond. Um, and that, uh, once again, it, it supports women throughout their pregnancy. It helps them to really plan and prepare for that postnatal period, something that, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about. And in that, in the book, I actually list 
the postnatal plan and the suggestion of my postnatal plan um, and really how to implement that antenatally so that, that not only do they have a solid birth plan, but they've got a plan on how to care for themselves after birth. So thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to mention that, Sheena. <laughs> well, you should be mentioning it because it's very, it's excellent. What you do is excellent. So yeah, everyone thanks, should know about it. And you're featured in the book as well, actually, aren't you? I, I came for your expertise and um, you offered some great support. So, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, and of course, there's lots of Sheena's books as well out there. So, you know, it's great. So, well, I, I'm, I'm really sad I'm going to have to draw this to a close because, as usual, time has run on. We could talk about lots of things. One thing we didn't talk about was breastfeeding. I don't think that got, got thrown into the discussion. But yes, it did. It did. Oh, I did mentioned it? feeding. I yes, do I apologise. OK, I, went, yeah, I must have yeah. blinked at that point. <laughs> OK, and just one final comment from Sherelle. Brilliant topics. Thank you, Sheena and Marie-Louise. Learned some new things to take into my own practice. Well, I think we all have tonight. We've learned a lot of, lot of things here. And thank you so much to both of you for being part of this discussion. And I'm sure that Sue will get you back on on another time to, to talk about something else, which will be great. Um, resources will all be available on the website and on the Facebook by Friday. There will be a recording as well of this talk that you can come back to if you didn't get hold of that link that you um, wanted to for Active Eye. And then, of course, you can come back to the talk and, and get hold of it. So coming up, we have got the Scottish Festival, as I, I mentioned earlier, live on demand on the 29th of November. Please sign up, come and join us, be part of it. And for all of you, just see you next Wednesday if you'd like to come and join us again. And thank you very much from everybody at Matflix and the Maternity Forum for being part of it and Midwifery Hour. And for all of you, good night and please keep yourselves safe at this time. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.